Welcome back to the top of Act Two. Act Two is about act to two begin. Is the top please. of Act Two, please. Top of Act Two, please, sir. Sir, have a seat. Take your seats. Sit down. God, I hate it when I'm when I when I've started a show or the top of Act Two from in a musical and people are still walking back to their seats. I'm like, God, you 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 really couldn't make it. You really couldn't figure it out. Oh. When the entree act is starting and people are still talking, fully having conversations, yeah. it's like, hello, that music means be yeah. quiet. Shh, shh, sir, shh. I also hate being shushed. I can't... F- I hate I being shushed. I fucking hate it. Especially by another adult. Oh, God, I hate it when I'm backstage of a show and a stage, an, an assistant stage manager shushes me. I don't know that I feel rage more from anything else than when somebody shushes me. What about, like, another actor shushing you? Oh, that 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 makes me that that annoys me. I'm like, what? You think you're better than me? Especially a particularly garlous actor. That is a big word, and I don't know what it means. Like another talkative actor who's like, shh. oh, and they 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 decide that now they're going to be quiet and they're going to shush you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh God, that makes me crazy. I hate that. I created a meme about that when you're telling a story backstage and somebody shushes you. Yeah, yeah, I did one too with a cat. It's fun. I'll post it. It's yeah. a funny one. Oh man, because there's always those there are always those uh, assistant stage managers that like shush you even though you know that like there's no fucking way that the audience can hear you. There's no way they can hear you. There's this person, there's this person that I have worked with many times and an assistant stage manager not many times but a few times. And it doesn't matter what's happening, if they hear any sort of noise whatsoever, they will you if you listen at any point backstage, you can always hear her or him going shh. I hate that. Do you prefer the sh- the shh or the shh? Oh no no no! I don't like a mul- I don't like a shh. God, all that. of it makes me mad. Oh, I hate that. Well, because it's got a healthy dose of condescension in it yeah. as well. <laughs> You're certainly right. That's exactly what it is. It's what you do to a child who's arguing or who needs to calm down for now. Yeah, time. that's what you do to a sweet babe who needs to lay down for rest. <laughs> I I don't like when other actors tell me what to do. Management, I their management, so I tend to not get as upset about that. But no, when I'm going to give them the side eye, but I'm going to I'm going to But I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to do it. But when it's another actor or something, I my go-to I heard from Gray Griffin, who is a voice actress for many Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon shows, and she's also a stand-up comic. Anyway, what she says is, oh, I'm sorry, are you an adult telling another adult what to do? Oh, yeah. See, but now that you told me that, it's just going to make me angrier when somebody does that to me backstage. Well, then you just say that. Yeah. Well, and a lot of ASMs are young adults. Again, they're management, and they and I know the stage manager is coming down on them, so I, I cut them a little bit more slack. Yeah. But when it's when somebody just got done, like, I don't know, making a fart joke to somebody else, and then you laugh and they go, shh, I'm like, <gasps> Oh, did you want me to... Did you want me to hit you? Because I'm going to hit you. Was this an invitation for a, for a brawl? My, imp- <laughs> my impulse is to rumble. Yeah. We are now in a fight. God, you know what? I'm getting kind of pissed right now. God, my butt's getting really itchy right now. I'm like, I'm like thinking about times this has happened to me lately, and I'm just getting angry. <laughs> and not even just shushing, but like, guys... Well, because they hear they hear any noise at all, and they assume, oh, noise. Oh, you know what really made me mad? Okay, I was doing a production of My Fair Lady, and I was in the quartet for My Fair Lady. And if you've ever sung like barbershop style music, which I know you have, Tim, it's fucking hard. So yeah. we would have to rehearse our 
song every single day before the show. And what we do is we would go backstage and then we'd go under the stage to like this really dark, quiet room. And that was where we would rehearse the song, make sure our harmonies were tight, blah, blah, blah. And I remember we would walk backstage, you know, at like half hour, whatever the audience is filling in, they're talking loudly as they're filling in, they're reading their programs, they're excited for the show because they know that Alex Stewart is going to be featured. And we're walking back to our dressing rooms quietly singing our song in harmony and i remember the the assistant stage managers couldn't stand it they'd be like Shh, you guys have to be quiet they can hear you out there and i remember i never said anything but i remember just thinking no they can't no they cannot hear us the curtain is down or whatever we're far enough away from them they're all talking it's loud we're we are two walls away from them they cannot hear us back here Use some yeah, common sense. It's just like take a chill pill. <laughs> take a chill pill. God damn it. It's like when you're angry and somebody tells you to calm down. If there's one surefire way to piss me off, it's to tell me to calm down. Okay. Noted. Noted. Ugh. <sighs> God, I'm just ready to fight someone right now. I know. It can be very, very annoying. If people are being loud backstage, I get it. Like, somebody. C- this is the thing. I just, I really feel like if you're an actor, just don't, just don't tell somebody what else, what to do. Don't quite, don't shush them. Don't correct it. Just like you wouldn't give a note. Stage management will take care of it. If that person is being too loud, it is not your responsibility to shush them. Oh, now, if, 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 if other actors tell you to be quiet? Yeah. You know, I think it's, well, uh, we're just talking about how much, how annoying it is when assistant stage management or stage management tells you to be quiet. Well, you were, I've been talking about other actors all along. If you're another actor, there are, there are ways to tell other actors they're quiet. Okay. So, 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 so like, let's say, okay, you want to be Felicity Bloody Dump? No. Wow. Way to just say no to that impulse. I always get criticized. (sighs) Okay. So, Okay. Well, I need you to play somebody right now. Okay, I can So I need you to fucking take your time and choose a goddamn character. Okay, I want to be, uh... I will be, um... Uh... Dowdy British man. You can be Felicity Grundlebucket. (laughs) Needs a different first name. Oh my god. The other day, the other day in the dressing room, we were coming up with names... About, for like from for about, cats from from the musical. I'm sorry. Did you want to let me tell the story? Or did you want to continue to come up with silly British names? Do I actually have a choice? <laughs> no. Okay. That was a historical question. Okay. Ask your ask your or tell your story. Tell you give your anecdote. Okay. So we were coming up with names for cats, like from Cats the Musical, because they've got names like you know Skimbleshanks and Mistopheles and Rum Tum Tugger and stuff. In the dressing room, one of the names that somebody came up with was Sackle Tits. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. And okay. the other one, the uh, the other cat was Jumble Nuts. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> Sackle Tits and Jumble Nuts. So I'm going to be Basilton Grundlebucket. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. My name is Basilton Grundlebucket. And I'm going to share a story backstage before my one of my friends. Okay, so Basilton Grundlebucket is backstage. So this is backstage of Beef and Boards okay. production of Merlin the musical. Where did the ducks go? And you are you're talking very loudly. And this is this is how I Alex would handle this. This is what I would do. 
So you just have to think of some weird shit to say. Back I got it. Okay. Whenever I'm taking it off you, so whenever you're ready. Excuse me, have you seen my granola bar? I sat it down here a second ago because I had to go <laughs> oh on god. stage. Oh my god, I... Basil, Basil, Basil. Oh my god, you are so loud. I was just trying to find my granola bar. Oh my god, there is an audience out there. Damn, girl. Six-inch voices. Six-inch voices, that's great. Now you be Felicity Bloody Dump, and I'll be me. And we'll be backstage at Thistledew Theater Company uh, for our production of Hot September. Okay. Which everyone knows is the musical adaptation of Picnic by William Inge. <laughs> Inge. Okay, so we're so we're at places right now, and we're yeah, just we are to start the show. Okay. Yeah. My name is Felicity Bloody Dump, and I require a diet Felicity, coke before Felicity. I bend to the stage. Felicity. Yes. You are belting right now, and I need you to be at like a Sutton Foster sneaky mix because <laughs> the artistic director Tom Pennington is giving the curtain speech, and he's the only voice, and he's not Mike. Okay. I concur. Save your belt for the stage, you know? I like that all the names you come up with, like Pennyton, and what was the other one? Basil Basilton Grundlebucket? Yeah. <laughs> Sound very English. I also got a stage manager named Floyd Gilderspoon. He's the stage manager there at Thistledew Theater Company. <laughs> Which is why his name is Floyd. Yeah. Did you know that Felicity um, Bloody Dump does not exit? She simply enters the wings. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Where did you hear that? Anyway, wait, wait, wait. you don't think I could have made that up? I had to hear it somewhere. I was just saying we talked in the last episode about giving people credit when it's their joke. Uh, yeah, no, I did. I got that from my friend uh, Jamie, who's married to Christiane Moore. Well, that's good. That's that's pretty funny. Anyway, welcome back. Welcome back to the top of Act Two. Hola, cómo estás? Ah, muy bien. Gracias. Y tú? Would you please use the formal usted when speaking to me since I'm older than you? Sometimes I wonder. People always ask who's older, and in years, it's me, and in in life experience, it's Alex. Uh, Also in looks, it's Alex. Um, Wow, what? You look older. Your skin is weathered, sagging a little bit. You kind of got that dad. You kind of have that dad bod. You're graying, balding. I have, okay. For those of you who don't know what Alex and I look like, Alex is... Much taller, but he's got like a hump. He kind of hunches over. Um, He's got a little bit of a belly. He's got that U shape to his hairline with a little bit of a bald spot in the back, just barely. And uh, and I'm young and taut and uh, muscular. I actually feel like that description would match our voices a little better. Like, I feel like I do have a voice that would match the anatomy that you just described. Yeah. And I you know sort of, I, mean? I sort of look like uh, Archer. Only instead of animated, I'm made of real skin and bones. Do you know who does an incredible Archer impression? Alex, Alex Wrangler. Wrangler. All right, let's get back into the shoe. All right, Tim, you wanna, you wanna go ahead and uh, bring us into this next one? Oh wait, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And now it's time for New York is a great big pile of stink. <laughs> So, what are we talking about this week, Tim? Let's talk about um, something that we have made mention of before, but we've never really delved into the depths of it. And as it is an underground atrocity, I think that uh, I was going somewhere real good with this, and then I got real proud that I thought of underground atrocity, and I lost it. That's why I have so much animosity. I just made that up. That's very good. I want to talk about the subway. Okay. 
And I'm not talking about the place where you can get a $5, no. $5 foot long. No, uh, this is the real subway in New York City. Arguably one of the grossest places you have to be when you're in New York. I just washed. I was doing laundry yesterday, and I threw my backpack in that I use pretty much. I carry it around with me everywhere in New York, and I haven't washed it since I've been in New York. I also use it for rehearsals and shit like that. But I threw it in the laundry yesterday and washed it, and I thought, I have to... I need to wash my backpack once a week, at least, when I do my laundry, because it sits on the floor of the subway, and I don't... Not only would I not want to, like, set my backpack down on my bed, I don't even want it on my couch or really too far into my apartment. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Speaking... Okay, so speaking of setting things down, so you have to put things... You have to put your bag on the... (laughs) Speaking of setting things down. Uh, well, in relation to the subway, don't put your backpack. If I can give any advice to anybody who hasn't moved to New York yet or who is new to New York and just hasn't figured this out yet, do not put your backpack on your bed or on your couch. You're not realizing it, but it's cockapoo It's been on the subway floor. It's been on the ground of the platform. It's been on the ground of the train. It's yucky. Don't do it. Also, oh, yeah, it. It's it's yucky yucky narnar. Also, don't set the seat of your pants down on those little wooden seats on the platform. I see people doing that. I see perfectly normal, good-looking people doing that, and I'm like, "What are you doing? You're gonna get bed bugs from that chair." Wait, don't set the seat of your pants. Yeah. Wait, don't what? sit your ass down on those little wood seats in the subway platform. Oh, oh, so when you're waiting for the for the yeah, train. Yeah, yeah, those yeah. are so gross. Do you know what wood can hold? Bodily fluids, parasites. Don't sit there. Ugh. It's porous. No, you set you. Those are actually there for you to set your uh, bag down on when you need to tie your shoe. Yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't trust it. Um, I'm sure you're okay. Like if worse came to worse, and you really had to sit down, I'm sure you'd be okay. But I just feel like it's like oh, oh I it's I sit I sit down on them. Do you? Oh, they make me yeah, so nervous. Yeah, sometimes I gotta fucking sit. There should be more of them. They they should well, they should put metal ones in that can be easily wiped down or sprayed down. Yeah, metal or plastic. Yeah. Um, sorry, plastique. I guess the reason the the thing about it that kind of that kind of chaps my ass is that the subway platforms in the wealthy parts of Manhattan are very nice. Oh, yeah, like on the Upper East Side. Have you been to that station? I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but there's an Upper East Side subway station that has like a a really – we must be really deep down underground because you ride an escalator up to the top, and it is like four stories Yeah, or it's something. over on like – Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, it's like off the queue on 2nd Avenue. Yeah, 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 that's it. That's a new – now, the thing about that is that's a new subway line. They just added that yeah, a couple nice. years ago. They, that got finished a few months before you actually moved to New York. Um, and it's nice. It's really, really nice. And I understand that like, obviously the new subway line that they're building is going to be nicer than, you know, the one train line on, you know, up in Harlem where we live. But our stop on 145th is such a freaking disaster that when it rains, it pours. There's a video that I posted. It is, if you just YouTube it, it, it was pouring rain. And I remember this day that this was taken. I was actually heading out of New York to go work in Connecticut. I work as a painter's assistant. Picture the monsoon season or monsoon uh, scene. That's from what Jumanji. it looks like. So I left out of town on the Metro North. And just a couple hours after I left Manhattan, I saw this video posted from our subway stop on 145th of this water just 
pouring down the stairs into the subway platform. Just it just flooded, just completely flooded, because the subway is mm-hmm. such a piece of crap. Well, I don't know what that has to do with the subway being crappy. The fact that there's no way for the water to drain out. Oh well, that I guess, but I mean, it coming down the stairs is because there it's a staircase that leads from the above to the below. Well, yeah, but I mean, there's well, yeah, but the the thing about it was that the subway was completely flooded. Like there's there's like six inches of water in the subway platform. Yeah, the subway is not hiding at all that you're going underground. It's all like moist and hot and like stinky. It's it's pretty gross. It's like you're going into the sewers, really, to get on a bus. There's a reason why you get you get sick when you first move to the city. There there's a reason that happens, you know, because it's it's so filthy. And then when you get on the the subway car itself. Everybody, oh my God, when you go and hold onto a pole and it's warm because somebody else has been holding Ugh, onto it for so with long, their clammy their sweaty, hands. clammy hand. Ugh, blah. Yeah, you gotta start, I gotta start carrying hand sanitizer around more. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I don't. Because God forbid you were holding onto the subway pole and then like, oh, I got a hangnail and you like bit your to- your nail or something and then you just put your yucky, disgusting subway hand in your mouth. Oh my God. Yeah, that's gross. I mean, we've had people who have gotten bed bugs and stuff like that. That shit can you can get that from the subway. Bed bugs? I mean, I don't see why not, but ugh, that's awful. Oh my god! If you have a backpack, you know what I mean, and then you set it down, you can get they can get into your backpack. You bring your backpack inside, you know. Yeah, that's how it happens. That is. So what we're trying to say is to be horribly fearful of the subway. Yeah, that's 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 what we're going for. I'm not offering any solutions or anything like that. Here's the thing that really skins my knees about it is that it's expensive. It's getting more and more expensive to use the subway. Okay, so to get a Metro card, so just like one trip is $2.75 for a one-way. Okay. Um, and that was recently raised. It was? When uh, was it raised, does it say? Before you before you moved to the oh, city. Okay. Like before January of 2018. So recently within the past, you know, two years. Um, but here's my here's my gripe with that is it costs. So it, even if I only need to go two stops on the subway, it's costing me the same amount as if I want to go all the way into like deep Brooklyn from where we live, which is like an hour and a half on the subway. Really? Can you take That's, one train ride all the way into deep Brooklyn? Well, you can transfer, but you don't have to buy another ticket to transfer. Uh... Yeah, or another pass. True. You know what I mean? So it's it's two seventy five. No matter what, I feel like they should be charging you for distance. Also, you know what's kind of fucked up? World hunger. You know when you um, accidentally get on the wrong direction and you have to come back up, you have to go through a turnstile again. Yeah. So if you don't have an unlimited pass, that mistake is costing you almost three bucks. Yeah. Yeah, that sucks. And further, your you can't like re. You can't like scan your thing again, right? You have to wait a certain amount of oh, time. Oh, if you have an unlimited card, you have to wait like 15, 18 minutes. Yeah, eight, 18 minutes to get back through the subway so that people don't share swipes. Yeah. When people when people ask me for swipes, if I have an unlimited card, I always swipe them in. Uh I haven't ever swiped anybody in. I don't think anybody's asked me when I was able to, but I have held the door for somebody, which is just as bad. Oh, oh no. the emergency I exit door. I must yeah. have slid somebody uh, in on my way out before. Like when I was going to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Once you get off, you don't need to use it. Uh, when you get... I love I love how you there's the emergency exits for every stop. And they say, emergency door, do not use or siren will sound or something like that. And 
everybody just goes through it. it d- like, there's no sound. There's no siren. Yeah. But really, and nobody nobody tells you not to. It's really it's easier than trying to get people because some some platforms only have like three turnstiles. Oh yeah, and if I have luggage or groceries, or yeah, but also people are trying to get in and people are trying to get out. It's it's stupid. Uh, people are stupid. Uh, unlimited monthly car, 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 an unlimited monthly car. Wow, I'm sorry. I believe that I smell toast. I think I may have just had a stroke. Um, unlimited monthly cards cost $121, which when I first moved to the city, they were 116. And then an unlimited uh, weekly card costs um, $32. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, I usually do the monthly. Yeah, me too. I just get the unlimited monthly because. I think it pays for itself. Here's the thing that makes me crazy, though. The other, the other option is to just... You can buy, like, a quick Metro card. Like, like a, you you can buy a Metro card where, like, you just need one real fast, you know? Um, I actually don't really know why they offer the option. But you can come... Like, you can get, like, a preloaded card. You can either add time to a card, which would be the unlimited cards, like the weekly or the monthly. Or you can get one that's, like, for a certain amount. Oh, the white cards. But the amounts... But the the rate cards, but those are but the amounts that they come up with are like so bizarre. Like one of them is like you can get a nine dollar card and you get like an extra dollar if you get the nine dollar card, so it's like ten dollars. But it's two seventy five every way you go, each time you go. So it always ends up like you always end up with a few extra cents on the card that just go to waste. It's just so weird. Yeah, I don't know why they do. Why, why don't you make it like it's theft. I, th- I think that they really make a lot of money off of that. Like, give me a text. Oh, they must, because all those little cents at the end add up. And sometimes it's not, like, cents. It's, like, a dollar. <laughs> but, like, what are you going to do? Yeah, it doesn't It doesn't cover all the right. Like, it, it never comes out to just zero. I don't know why I can't find any information on it right now online, but it never comes out to zero, so. Yeah, yeah. Fair tickets. That's what they're called. They're called fair tickets? I've gotten those before. Um, when I was at the end of my time there last time, I got fair tickets. Ugh, doesn't sound very fair to me. Did you get that? Because you're talking about fair fair rates. I get it. Um, well, the price is going up because they're supposedly making all of the platforms nicer. So when I was when I left, they were working on 88th, and I want to say they were working on 88th, and they had just finished 110, and 110 looks really nice now. You know what? I tell you what. As long as the subways keep getting nicer, but man, I'm getting impatient. Well, it better not take so long that by the time we finish them, the the ones that were first at getting redone are now shitty again. <laughs> well, I, th- I think that's kind of what happens in New York City. I think it's kind of... Cyclical. If everybody could just... Could we all just agree to stop pooping on the walls of the subway platforms? I don't know, my dude. I don't know if that's a promise I can I can make. <laughs> it's... Who... I don't... I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> why is it so well, gross? If people would just take care of their things... That would make a big difference too, you know what I mean? Like, like little things, like not spitting gum out on the uh, on the platform. subway platform, or yeah. like making sh- making sure that you don't write in graffiti all over the walls. Yeah, just checking in to make sure you're not doing that. Yeah, because actually, mostly like you can't really blame people for how gross the subway platforms are. You can, as far as like you know, if someone's taken a leak on the that metro card machine. That's one thing, but. The tiles also you look at the tiles and it's just it's just water damage and sewage from the streets and stuff like that. It's just old. And yeah. they don't wh- why well, isn't there somebody uh, who cleans them? You just power hose it off like once a month and I'm sure it'll be fine. God, even once a year. Well, people do power hose them. Sometimes it well, once a year is definitely not enough. I mean, that's the thing. I don't think that they get cleaned often enough for how 
for how much foot traffic there is. Because I have gone into subway stations late at night and they do power hose them. But I just so so you weren't in you weren't in New York yet. But at the end of June last year, there was I was um, in New York at the end of June. Like an, oh 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 last year, two thousand seventeen. Yeah, uh, an eight. Yeah, because an like a an A train derailed up in Harlem. <gasps> oh, and it injured thirty four people. Jesus. And and so uh, just a few days after that, Governor Cuomo declared a state of emergency for the subway <sighs> system. So they have been they've been they've been working on it, man. I mean, but it's like, how does it get to that point? How did it get so bad? You know what I mean? And and actually, just just like a year after that. A ceiling collapse in the subway at the Burl Hall subway station in Brooklyn. Oh man, you got the fucking ceilings falling down. Not to mention the fact that the trains never run on time. You know, it's just, it's it's so so. Okay, so to wrap all this up, so this doesn't just become like a big you know a big long bitch fest. Oh yeah, we wouldn't want a tirade on this show. Just make sure that you always carry hand sanitizer. Yeah. Uh, give yourself at least um, three hours to get anywhere you need to get in New York City and make sure that you wear a helmet. If you're visiting New York or planning on moving to New York, use City Mapper. It tells you what train to take. It tell, it gives you many options of which different trains you can take, how long it's going to take to get there. It's it's usually pretty which accurate. Which car to sit in. Yeah, it's usually pretty accurate. And it also works on the street. If you're just walking, it tells you exactly which direction. It's a lifesaver. I use that. I have to say also learning to sit either in the middle, the front or the back of the subway is an important skill to learn because I didn't realize that it was an issue at first because you don't think about how long the subway train actually is. So long. And there was times where I would be sitting in the, so to go to and from Times Square on the A, uh, ABCD line, I have to sit in the back of the train. And what I didn't realize is if I sit in the front, then when we arrive back home in Harlem and I come up on the surface, I'm about three blocks further away than I would be if I sat in the back of the train. Yeah, that's crazy what a difference that makes. I love the people on the train who just like insist on reading their book, even though it's completely packed to the walls. And they still, they're still fucking holding their book like three inches away from their face because they just have to read on the subway. Like, put this is not a good time for you to be reading a book. The subway's too crowded right now for you to be reading a book with your elbows out. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I see what you what you mean. You mean when it's really crowded. Yeah, when it's really crowded, you kind of just have to sit there and listen to music. Or listen or listen to the Nobody's in New York podcast, which most people do. Yes, listen to the Nobody's in New York podcast. I was going to say I like to listen to Joshua Henry sing songs from Carousel, but the Nobody's in New York podcast is definitely my first choice. Yeah, it's a better that's the best way to go, really. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, Subway, uh, make sure you got some hand sanitizer. Take your vitamins. Um, bring a chair. Give yourself some time. Bring a chair, which we've done. We've, we definitely did bring a folding chair onto the Subway one time, which mm-hmm. you can see video of on our Nobody's in New York Instagram. And Facebook. All right. This has been... New York is a great big pile of stink. All right. How about some... Long enough. Enough! Enough. Silence! I can't take this shit no more. Something that has gone on long enough for me, and I'm sure you'll tend to agree with me, are people trying to upsell you. Upsell, excuse me, not upsell. Upsell you. Or trying to get you to subscribe to their crap. Yeah, it's kind of just a part of life nowadays, especially in New York. 
But what, what what was it that brought this on? Like, how did you, what, what made you decide that this was going to be the So subject? today I went to Barnes & Noble to pick up a book for a friend for Christmas. And the lady who was checking me out, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> lots of ladies were checking me out. The clerk, when I was purchasing oh. the book. Oh, dropped at it. Uh, kept trying to get me to give money to stuff. And the first was to, you know, join their secret club or whatever. And I was like, oh, no, I don't have – no, no, thank you. And then she was, like, trying to get me to uh, buy a book to donate to an elementary school, which sounds very sweet and all, but I give elementary schools enough of my time already. And then she was like, okay, great. So she rang me up for the bur- book – the Burke. She rang me up for the book and then said, I just need your email address. And I, was, I assumed it must have been for my receipt or something. So I gave her my email address. Right. And then she goes, okay, go ahead and verify that in the screen for me. And the screen says, by selecting yes, you are confirming that you want to receive – uh, emails for promotions and marketing and stuff like that. And I said, I don't want to get marketing emails. And she goes, okay, then just hit no. And so I hit no. Did she say it like a shithead like that? No, she said it like she was very embarrassed and like I was being very angry, which I wasn't, I can guarantee. Because I've worked retail before and I know that how much it sucks to have to ask people because they're always like, no, I don't want a bunch of your emails. And you're like, fine, whatever. But right. the audacity to not tell me what she was getting it for, but just to say, and what's your email? Like, she was going to sneak yeah. me onto that list so I'd get a bunch of book emails. Dude, I get the amount of emails that I... My, almost my entire inbox is full of emails from places like GNC or like, um, I don't know, BuzzFeed or like things where I'm like, how, how do you... Why do you... What? Like, I don't even open these. Yeah. Starbucks. I get emails from start like so many things that I can't like m- my entire inbox is just full of emails from places that I I, I don't need them from. Somehow, I never open them. I get texts from Roundtable. Like how did you get my number? You don't even You get texts from Roundtable? Yes. Pizza? Oh, that's really weird. I know. Mom does too. Yeah, it... I'm surprised you don't. <laughs> that's that's really that, that's it makes me it makes me crazy. You can't you you are and that's how they get you. I think when they email you the receipt, that's how they have your email address and they can continue to send you emails. Well, what I do have to say is not not everyone because at Urban Outfitters, we when we started emailing receipts, we were trying to get people, you know, to save paper and therefore the environment and all that. Um, and people didn't want to give us their email addresses because they were afraid it was going to add them to the list. And I was like, no, I assure you, it's just your receipt. We're not putting you on a mailing list. Oh, well, good. Well, um, I guess it's nice to know that some companies are still upright. Like, that. Well, I'm not saying that they're upright. I'm just saying that they're potentially not putting you on a mailing list. Now they might, though. I don't know. I haven't worked there in a couple of years. But. I mean, I, I went shopping at Bloomingdale's once to buy clothes, and I suddenly have emails from them constantly about promotions that I don't care about. Yeah. And it's always stuff like, buy one pair of jeans, get another 10% off. Like, it's like, who who cares? Yeah, yeah. I once thought about Birchbox and I get emails from them. Right. Well, exactly. That's the thing is there are some things that I'm like, I have literally only talked about s'mores and now I'm getting advertisements for s'mores on my phone. Like, that's a thing. Let's all acknowledge that that's a thing because it is. Like, it simply is. Yeah, I think we all know that. If you talk about, like, like I'm probably going to get advertisements for p- pickles and peanut butter now. Yeah, probably. Maybe not in the same advertisement, but you know. And yet, on my... and yet, all those people talking about the Nobody's in New York podcast, and we can't get any free advertisement. Yeah, what's going on with that? 
Oh man. Yeah. So, so, so sick of it. You know what I love? I really appreciate especially this time of year, the Salvation Army people, they stand there, they ring their bells and they just wish people Merry Christmas and I can give them some change or I cannot give them some change. Yeah, exactly. And they don't, they don't judge you when you walk past them because they know how many times a day you probably see one of them and you can't give, you run out of change eventually. God, I tell you what, those people with the clipboards, when they've got a clipboard, that's when you need to really look out. You know, those people who are with the ASPCA or like the... Um, the subscription gentleman what, like Scrooge has to <laughs> encounter in Christmas Carol. Yeah, like the character the character that I play. Or or like, um, what's the other one? Um, the ACLU. Like th- those types of like, like any like organization like that, like they will run after you they will chase you down the street to get you to sign up for their thing i had this one guy i was i was walking to get some coffee with somebody i was meeting up for coffee and this guy i was kind of lost so i i was walking up and down the street as i tend to do in new york back and forth trying to figure out where the fuck i was supposed to be going and every single time i passed this guy he would not stop hounding me to to talk to stop and talk and i was like dude i'm in a hurry i don't know where i'm going leave me alone yeah, you got to fight those people. Well, I did. I kicked him. Well, good. Spat on him. Bat on him. Shat on him. Oh, oh, you shat on him. Oh, okay. And then I sat on him. Oh, my God. You know, one year at Pride, I, I went to a state farm booth to get like a sweatband or some free piece of shit that I didn't need or really want, but it was free. And, uh, you know, like we were talking about the, <laughs> the crazy people who come up just to get free stuff. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, that was you. Yeah, that was me on this occasion. Um, and I still get emails all the time from State Farm. <laughs> I don't even remember giving them my email address. Because because that's the thing. As somebody who works as like a brand ambassador, that when they're giving you out, when they're giving free stuff out, which is almost never worth it. It's almost something. It's always something you could buy at like CVS for like a dollar. You know what I mean? It'll be like a free, yeah, like or a, at the Dollar little... Tree for like yeah, a dollar. It, it's just some piece of crap and like people go crazy for it like people will line up for f- a, a tube of f- a free tube of chapstick yeah, you know what i mean it's exactly. like this it's not even that good of chapstick you know what i mean but it's free or like a, a, a bouncy ball i've had people go crazy over bouncy balls i worked in you know activation I mean? that was a food truck that was doing like pops popcorn and floats and they had like a mm-hmm. prize wheel and it was outside of a business for that specific business and we would get people who would somehow make their way into the line and slip past us. And as they came up, we're like, we have to check their badge. And they'd be like, oh, I just waited here for 20 minutes and I can't even like participate. It's like, well, why'd you wait 20 minutes for a keychain or some popcorn? Yeah, why are you why are you waiting so long for this? You could have waited free- less time and only paid a tiny bit more money at the bodega for popcorn. Right, it's it's insane, and 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 the goal for a lot of these places when they hand out this piece of crap, and I have oh my god for free popcorn, people go crazy. I'm like, popcorn is one of the cheapest things that you can buy. <laughs> yeah. It costs not even a dollar <laughs> for a bag of popcorn. It, it and it takes two minutes to make. I mean, it's I I don't know why people go crazy for it. They go they they get in line or they ask for an extra one to bring back to their coworker or their friend and and the goal with all these places is to get you on their mailing list. That's always the goal. Yeah, you know what though? I'm never really excited. Like free food on the street of New York does not invoke excitement in me. I'm like, "Ooh, let me well, not we weren't go handing to that. it out on the street." Well, we were. Oh. Well, yeah, but you said you were in front of a business. Well, yeah, we were in front of a building. 
Still, like, I mean, I don't even want to buy food from the street vendors, let alone get free kind. Yeah, yeah, I know. They should pay me. Although I do like the smell of those nuts. Okay, here's something that really bothers me. Something that really, really milks my toast. Hmm. When I order something off of Amazon, like, for the apartment, say, just say, a plunger. A plunger. Although that's probably a bad example because I don't poop. But we'll just say that. I order a plunger, and then I immediately start getting emails about discounts on Amazon for plungers. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. What I do appreciate is when they're like, people who bought what you bought also bought this. Yeah, that I, I guess, I, I, yeah, that I understand. I do like that feature, because sometimes I'm like, oh, I didn't know they made that too. But yeah, it's like, well, no, I, I already bought a dresser. I don't, I don't need another one. Yeah, that's literally the last thing, like literally the last thing that I need right now is another plunger. I've just, damn it, I've just bought one. You know that. I know you know that. So why are you sending me advertisements for more plungers? Excuse me, it's advertisements. Sorry. Yeah, so I think all that's gone on. Long Long enough. enough! So... We have a very special guest today for our interview, and I get to be a part of it, which is a nice change from the last few weeks. Yeah, it's been a while. So we have with uh, us today the illustrious Robert. We're going with Robert for the start, right? Yeah. I'm yes. so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I know. This is going really well. Off <laughs> <laughs> to a very good start. Alex, you do uh, it. You do it. You do it. Okay, it's, it's, we have uh, Broadway's uh, Robert Cuccioli with us. Uh, Robert, welcome, man. Thanks, Alex. Good to be here. And uh, Tim, good to see. Good to be with you too. Yes, and, and I was going to say see you, but I can't see you. <laughs> <laughs> we are recording from the uh, housing at uh, Goodspeed, and Tim is in, still lost in Sacramento. Very lost. Um, we it is our day off, so so uh, Robert, or we'll say uh, uh, we're familiar, so we use the abbreviations. Uh, Bob and I are doing um, Christmas Carol here, Connecticut Christmas Carol at good speed. Uh, you are our Scrooge, mm-hmm. and we. I, I asked Robert a couple days ago if we if he wouldn't mind uh, being on the show because we we've had some pretty cool guests on, but you've you've done some some pretty cool uh, some pretty cool s. Uh, Bob was the original uh, Jekyll and Hyde, uh, which started as a tour, a national tour, correct? Uh, well, it started. Uh, uh, it had different incarnations before that. Oh, okay. Uh, it originated at the Alley Theater in Houston. Oh. And then it uh, it had a production, a co-production between Theater Under the Stars in Houston and uh, the Fifth Avenue in in Seattle, mm-hmm. uh, which I did. And so that was kind of a, a joint uh, operation. And then it became a tour. And then I went to Broadway. And you were so you were a part of this kind of the whole the whole way through. Most of the way through, I didn't do the alley. Okay, so and uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit about Jekyll and Hyde uh, as as we get into it um so you yeah you were you originated the role of uh of dr jekyll and you which you were nominated for a tony for uh you also won the drama desk outer critic circle and the what is f-a-n-y award what is that <laughs> fanny the fanny award i i, I just kind of i joke about that saying it's for best butt on broadway but <laughs> But it's uh, I it's, share a dressing room. It's actually a, a, a fan based award. It's oh, a, okay. It's a people's choice. Okay. Award. I don't know if it even exists anymore, but it it did back then. But you won it for uh, for outstanding actor in a musical. Yeah. Did you win it for uh, Jekyll or for Hyde? Yes. 
I, I thought that that um, would be the time to use that joke. You can only use it once, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. You burned that one up. <laughs> <laughs> so you made your Broadway debut, though, as Javert in Les Mis. I did. And what was that, 93, 94? Yeah, no, it was like Something 92, like uh, 93. Uh, and then uh, just to highlight a couple of other things, you were the Green Goblin mm-hmm. in, in uh, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, yeah. which I, when I read that in your bio, I thought, oh, my God, of course. Of course. Because uh, if you don't know what Bob looks like, he's probably the most handsome Scrooge that we've had. We talked uh, about that, that uh, at, at my show. Yeah. <laughs> Have you really? Yeah, we watched the video that you posted, and someone was like, that's a good-looking Scrooge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been brought up in rehearsal a couple of times. Just ugly on the inside. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but but you, but as soon I thought, oh, my God, yeah, of course. you, you what, What's his name who plays the Green Goblin in the movie? Uh, in the Willem sp- Dafoe. Willem, yeah, you guys could be cousins. Uh, and then you – now you and you just brought to my – now you've worked for obviously – Many, many regional companies. We've got Paper Mill. Um, you've worked off-Broadway, of course, San Jose Rep when it was still around. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera, The Guthrie. You've done a lot of work, including some, a lot of directing over at Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey. Uh-huh. And then you were recently, you just brought to my attention, uh, January, February, you were working on Rothschild and Sons uh, in London. Yeah, which was a reworking of the original Rothschilds, um, Sheldon Harnick and uh, Jerry Bach musical that they wrote after Fiddler. It had a decent run on Broadway back in the... It was 1970, and then it's never really been revived. But uh, Sheldon, who is now 94, and still, you know, I want to be him when I grow up. Mm -hmm. He's just still sharp and spry and uh, (laughs) still working really hard. He uh, collaborated with uh, Jeffrey Moss, our director, um, and Sherman Yellen, the book writer, and they rewrote the entire musical. Mm. And they made it into a chamber piece, two acts, and they just focused it more on the family. Uh, Sheldon actually wrote two new songs. Oh, okay. Wow. For it, by himself, music and lyrics. And uh, we did a production of it uh, off West End in London, uh, this beginning of this year, uh, last January, February. And now we're hoping to do it on the West End mm-hmm. there and then, you know, track it back to New York. I mean, so, so, so they really gutted quite a bit of it. Yeah. And, really, you know, and, and for, for our listeners who, who don't know much about how, how that sort of thing works, a lot of musicals uh, will do that. E- even if they have a life on, on Broadway or in the West End or something like that, Rags is a good example of a show that's been worked and worked and worked. And, um, <clears throat> Sometimes, especially in today's climate, uh, it's really difficult to produce a show when you have more than uh, a handful of actors mm-hmm. and, and, and a bigger orchestra than you know nine or or nine or thirteen. Yeah, you know, so they have to. A lot of these bigger, older musicals have to be reworked in that regard. Those big production numbers or those big production shows are really expensive. Yeah, and they have to be they they need to be pared down because people just don't want to put that kind of money into a show. So, as I said, you are our Scrooge right now. And one of the things that I wanted to to talk to you about when we we sat on a lunch break one day and we're kind of chatting, you had mentioned that I asked you where you went to school and and I ended up finding out that you you didn't go to school for theater. Not for theater, no. So, can you cuz I think that's really interesting that you're a Tony nominated uh, Broadway star who 
you worked on Wall Street. I did. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about what you you know how you found theater and and how that all happened? Well, theater was oh it it was never it was never part of my family life. My parents didn't even own a record player. Wow. Uh, they would you know occasionally would play you know old music on the. Uh, radio or something like that, but they would never play music in the house, and, mm-hmm. and it was never. Uh, I think they took me to one Broadway show, uh, which was Irene with, <laughs> with Debbie Reynolds, and and you can imagine that was not the thing that right, drew me into right. into theater. Uh, <laughs> but it was always it was always in my life for some reason. Um, I would do Glee Club in. Uh, elementary school and I did community theater um, I, I was part of a rock band it was a 50s band and we would uh, rehearse in my basement I would sing when I was mowing the lawn mm-hmm. you know just to so the lawnmower would drown my voice out so nobody <laughs> nobody would hear me sing so it's I don't a, know where it's it great all, training for the nine show weeks I don't know where it all to. yeah yeah <laughs> if you can sing over a lawnmower yeah, you can do yeah. anything <laughs> So I don't know where it really came from. And then uh, we actually, a couple of friends of mine, and I, I went to a Catholic uh, high school uh, where it was, you know, the girls' high school was separated from the boys' high school. And the girls' high school was doing uh, Oliver, actually. Oh, okay. And a friend of mine said, you know, they need some warm, breathing male bodies. <laughs> To be a part of it, do you want to? You were probably a shoe in. Do you want to? Yeah. You want to go? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So uh, we got into that, and then we got kind of hooked on it, and we convinced our uh, history teacher to uh, be the director of our to start a drama club at the boys' high school, mm-hmm. and uh, his wife um, was our choreographer. And so we did uh, shows in, in the boys' high school. I did Guys and Dolls. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did George M. I did uh, Room Service. Uh, then I went to college, and I just followed the path that you know I thought I was supposed to follow, mm-hmm. and and be in business. And and uh, I never even thought of theater as a career, but I continued doing it in college. I did it my freshman year, mm-hmm. a show, and then my senior year, I was doing Godspell, uh-huh. and. People said to me, you know, you're good. Did you ever think of doing this as a career? And that's when the light bulb went off. And I said to myself, if I don't give it a try, I'll say what if all my Mm -hmm. life, Mm -hmm. and I don't want to live with that. So I continued, you know, I paid for the sheepskin, so I figured I might as well (laughs) use it. (laughs) Right, right. So I I got a job at EF Hutton, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a... You know, many of the people who are listening to this podcast have no idea what that is. <laughs> I, I actually a, have no idea what it is either. But it was it's a, a very was prestigious a, investment firm. Yeah, exactly. Back in the eighties, um, E.F. Hutton and Merrill Lynch, and uh, all those were like the big monoliths of of the giants of the of Wall Street. And um, I got a job with them, and I continued to pursue acting. You know, on my lunch breaks, mm-hmm. and I'd go uptown and do auditions and things like that. And then I got a job with the Light Opera of Manhattan through a friend. He got me an audition for it. And I got a job in the ensemble. And that was a 52-week out-of-the-year repertory company mm-hmm. doing Gilbert and Sullivan, operettas, things like that. I had no training as a singer or as an actor, but I could sing. And I got a job in the chorus making 35 bucks a week. <laughs> wow, the big time. 
I mean, so so that was kind of that was sort of the I guess the foundation for your your training as 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 a young professional would well, be was Gilbert my, and Sullivan. And that was my training ground. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was I was trained on the job. Whenever I was not on stage, I would watch the other actors, and I had a good eye. You know, I knew what what I liked. I knew what worked, and I would copy them. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was how I that's how I started until I found my own style. Um, but that was, you know, the audience told me what worked and what didn't work. And that was that was my training. There's something to be said for simply watching somebody in process. Absolutely. How did you sort of find your way to Les Mis and, and your career on Broadway? Well, after about a year and a half of uh, working at the Light Opera of Manhattan, I and continuing to work at E.F. Hutton. I finally quit E.F. Oh, Hutton oh. and then did... Uh, did this full time. That must have been a big, that must have been kind of scary. <laughs> Not for me, but my parents cried. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because then it, then it was definite in their mind that that's, this is the path I wanted to do. Uh-huh. Up until then, it was kind of a hobby in their right. eyes. And so I stayed with the Light Opera Manhattan for three years altogether. I got my equity card there. And then shortly after that, I, I got the national tour of Camelot with Richard oh. Harris. So I got to play Lancelot uh, opposite Richard Harris, which was wow. pretty awesome. Oh, what a great role. Yeah. And talk about, um, you know, a learning situation. I would stand off stage every time I was not on stage with him and just watch him. Yeah. Wow. And, and you're uh, still pretty green at this point in your in Totally. Your yeah. But I knew what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I just watched and uh, and learned as much as I could. And it took about 12 years before I finally made my Broadway debut. And that that was a fluke, actually. I auditioned for... I wanted to do Les Mis like nobody else. Mm-hmm. When I heard the music to that, I was convinced that I needed to play Enjolras. Oh, okay. So I auditioned for that show probably about six times for Enjolras, and I never got hired. And then one day I was auditioning for something else i can't remember what it was and richard j alexander who was the general manager of les mis at that time was producing this and he was in the room and i gave one of the worst auditions of my life (laughs) i sounded horrible (sighs) and i walked out of there with my tail between my legs and as i'm walking towards the stairs and walking down the stairs i hear the pitter patter of feet behind me and it's richard and he says bob 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 uh, you did great in there. And I'm like, yeah, right. Thanks very much. <laughs> he said, but we are going to have an opening coming up in Les Mis uh, for Javert. Would you be interested? Would you be interested in the role? Yeah. Oh, my God. Not to audition, but in the role. No, no, no. But it, it, that, was, that was coming. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> I was like, so I wow. Said, I said, yeah, absolutely. He said, okay, we're, we'll set up an audition for you to okay. come in. So they, uh, he had me audition. Uh, I sang Stars. And he said, you're going to play this role. I don't know when just yet, but you will. And within, I don't know, three or four months, I got the phone call. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I love that you brought up how many times you auditioned for it. Our last interview, uh, my friend Jordana, who is just going into the Hamilton tour, auditioned for that show uh, about 12 times before she finally got cast. Yeah. How did you find out? What were you doing? What was it? I uh, I was actually doing a very amateurish production of Camelot in Gulfport, Mississippi. Um, it, was a, it was billed as a, a, a Gulfport Opera, mm-hmm. but it was basically a community theater group that hired uh, Meg Bussert uh, and I as their 
New York star uh-huh. <laughs> to come on down and give it some, you know, legitimacy. Uh-huh. And while I was down there is when I when I was doing that, I uh, I got the call. Wow. Wow. For, for Les Mis, yeah. And it was a it was an extraordinary event. I mean, it was the show that I wanted to do more than anything. Yeah. And to and I was I was surprised uh, about the role that I was ending up doing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, had you ever even considered? Never considered Javert. Wow. And uh, how long? How long did you do that on Broadway? <clears throat> Excuse me. I did it for a year, one month, and two days. A year, one month, and two. But who's counting? And no. Well, the reason that the <laughs> reason that I know that uh, they signed you to a three month contract mm-hmm. uh, because it gave them an out. You oh, know, if sure. they didn't like you know, who, who they had hired, and they kept renewing my three month contract, and I just renewed another contract when I got Jekyll and Hyde. Okay. And so Richard J. Alexander, who didn't have to do this, uh, let me out of my contract. Wow. To do Jekyll and Hyde because he knew how important it was. Yeah. So that's actually a perfect segue into Jekyll and Hyde. You you say you had gotten Jekyll and Hyde, but it, it had such a life before it went to Broadway. You said it was you were in Texas, you were in Seattle, mm-hmm. and then toured. So how, how, when you got it, what, was, was the plan, this is going to go to Broadway, but we need to do a lot of work with it, we want to tour first to get some buzz going out, or what was that process like? Uh, I think, yeah, the hope was always that it was going to come to Broadway. I, I don't remember how, how I felt about that, mm-hmm. as whether mm-hmm. I, I knew for certain that that was happening or oh, not. Okay. Or, I certainly wasn't jaded enough to think that it wasn't going to. Sure. Sure. Um, <laughs> now you talk to older actors. About but now, but now, yeah, talk to me now. And it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah right. You know, just you give yeah, me the contract and I'll yeah. let you know that <laughs> yeah, it's gone. Exactly. I'm sure you've been a part of a lot of projects that are supposed to go to Broadway. Oh, quote, well, yeah. Every, like Everything. every reading that I've done, <laughs> yeah, not yeah, one yeah. of them has gone anywhere. So Right. <laughs> so I've watched you um, create Scrooge here at Goodspeed and, and you – created uh Jekyll and Hyde and you also created um the Green Goblin you've you've created a lot of roles and so how how do you approach that creating a role it depends on the role I don't have any specific style so Mm -hmm. much I mean if it's a if it's a physical role I will generally work from the physicality Mm -hmm. first okay and, and find find that and then work my way in okay if it's a dramatic role or and I probably do this anyway even if it's a physical role because it's just something that I do is I work from from the only thing the only known which is me mm-hmm. so I put myself into the situation and uh, just work from my myself and that's that's the only thing you can really do does it feel any different than playing a role that you didn't originate if if I'm playing an iconic role, like if I was playing, not that I would be cast in this now, but if I was playing the king in The King and I, certainly Yul Brenner's performance would stick in my head mm-hmm. uh, because it's it's iconic. Exactly. My biggest concern would be to do justice to the role, to give uh, what I f- what I feel people expect of it, but to also make it my own. Uh, which is really challenging to get that such an iconic performance out of my head and just work from myself. I'm better at it now than what I was when I was younger, but 
that's there's a big difference when I'm when you're playing a role that is that is known that uh, has a certain attachment to it uh, for from another another actor, mm-hmm. uh, and when you're creating something that there is no blueprint for, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that is that must be freeing. Totally, and it's exciting because you know I'm making the blueprint. Yeah, remember? they're going to have to incorporate your performance in the future, yeah, inspired right. by certain things that you've done. I'm sure people yeah. feel that way about playing. You direct um, Jekyll and Hyde all over the place now, and um, I'm sure a lot of men feel that way when they approach that role. Uh, I, I don't know. I've never really asked mm-hmm. them, but I would imagine. <laughs> I what imagine is it like playing a role that I created? Are you <laughs> intimidated by me? But I imagine it would be, it would be weird. I mean, if I was yeah. in their position, I would feel, I don't know. It would be challenging. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But people have come in to, to audition for the role, and they sing, this is the moment, standing right in front of me. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I give you, you know, I give you kudos just to do that. I mean, that's, that's, that takes a lot. That's, yeah. that's something I'd have to hold on to the do. piano. <laughs> <laughs> Tim was just saying, as we took a little break for a second, that his one of his first auditions in, in New York, he was so nervous for, he had to literally hold on to the piano. <laughs> just the callback. The initial audition, I was like, oh, this is a shot in the dark. Here we go. It's when you're in the room and there's like 12 people that it's like, uh. Yeah, that's when it gets a little more intimidating. Yes, right. Uh, one of the things that I, I loved about watching you uh, in the room, Bob, is is how f- free you are uh, playing in the space. When we were first, there's there's a seg- the the opening section of our show. Uh, Bob comes out as William Gillette, uh, who's from this area in Connecticut, and he sort of sets the tone for the show. And watching you play around with William Gillette, all the props and everything that were around. It was so hilarious. It was always new. It was always different. You were so open in the space. Um, I I know for myself as an actor, it's taken me quite a bit of time to feel co- that comfortable in a rehearsal space, especially when you've got a company of actors watching you do it. Uh, how have you sort of found that that comfort in the rehearsal space? And, and what has that been like figuring out how to just really take ownership of of a rehearsal and of a, of a character? That's come with age. I've gotten to the point where I, I, I kind of have said, oh, well, I know who I am and I know what I do mm-hmm. and and I need to do this the way I'm going to do it. You know, this is how I need to work. Mm-hmm. And 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 this is what you bought. So let me let me do what I need to do and I'm going to take the time that I need to do it. So are you telling me, and, and stick with me here, that when you create a role or when you create any sort of character, you bring yourself to the character? Yeah. It's almost like everything I learned in acting school was true. <laughs> it is. It is, but it takes a long time for one to, re- for one to really b- trust that. Yeah. Yeah, because it, you, you feel, especially when you go into an audition, it's, it's like, what do they want? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, how, you know, how am I going to, how, how should I do this? You know, what if I do it wrong? Mm-hmm. Well, there is no wrong. It's, it's, if it comes from you, then it's, it's right. It may not be what they're looking for. I'm talking about auditions mm-hmm. right now. But, you know, uh, uh, I auditioned for this, this role, mm-hmm. just like, you know, you did. And they liked what I did in the audition enough to hire me for the role. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, well, this is, this is how I, I work. This is how that came out. 
so I can keep doing this so in the I rehearsals can keep doing now. This. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's great. I love that. I love that. I mean, because it's it is so cool to watch an actor discover a part, and the way that you played with the props that you had and with the other actors coming on and off stage, it was it was always different. It was always new. And now that the show, now that we've opened, there are things that you have hung on to. You know, again, like you said earlier, what the audience responds to generally. The, our audiences have been kind of hot and cold, but you know, you know what kind of works. And it's, it's interesting to see where you still play in the show and where you're still in discovery and yeah. the things that you've decided to lock in. Yeah. And that, that is, I, I mean, I know for, for myself, um, there have been parts that I've done where I go in and for, for whatever reason, I am just totally comfortable and I have no problem taking any sort of risk. And then other shows, because of where I'm working or the director I'm working with, it can take me a little while, a, a little longer to, to find that ownership and that comfort in the space. Yeah, you also have to be given the permission. And if meaning that if you're in an environment that you feel is safe, mm-hmm. that gives you the permission to, to play. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's, that's the director, that's the producer, that's the choreographer, mm-hmm. that's the, your castmates. I mean, if you feel that people are, are judging you, or feeling like they're you're wasting their time mm-hmm. if they give you that impression. If if the director is constantly finding everything that you do was wrong, mm-hmm. then you're going to be tied up in knots. Yeah, but absolutely. If but if you're given if if the 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 places that you're given is a safe space mm-hmm. to to play and to create, then it, you, it, everyone's going to blossom. I have to say that's one of the things that's so great about um, Hunter Foster was our director for this show. Uh, we had two weeks to rehearse, which is very different from I, – I was overwhelmed, and I saw you in rehearsals. And it was – I mean, that is a very, very short amount of time to – Did you play on- the part last last year? No. As well? No. No. And, and, and one of the things that Hunter did so well uh, was he – you know, attitude reflects leadership. And he is he, – he was an actor – and he was so patient and uh, allowed people to play. Uh, he was really encouraging, really open. He was a model director for what, for what you just said. To only to have such a short amount of time and work with somebody who's allowing you, who gives you that sort of permission. I mean, that's, that's what you need in a process yeah. like and this. And the one thing that he gave me, <clears throat> excuse me, that, um, that helped with this process also is when you are stepping into, this goes into the, the sort of what we were talking about before when you are replacing somebody which i which i technically was Mm -hmm. because this was being done this was done last year and there was a different scrooge at the time so i'm replacing somebody who i am not like at all Mm -hmm. and a hunter gave me the permission to do this my way Mm -hmm. and to change things that i needed to you know, whatever yeah. I needed to do, they would adapt. And everybody else that was in the cast before got a little shook up, but they ended up going with the flow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I got permission to do that and the freedom to do that. And some of the things that I have to do are are the way they need to be. And I had to fit into that kind of track to some extent because I didn't want to rock the boat too. I couldn't rock sure. the boat too much. Sure. But mm. Uh, I was given permission to totally make this my own, and so that that just opened the floodgates. Well, that's that's some awesome information. That's 
That's perfect. I, I think that a lot of people are going to appreciate hearing you talk about that, especially okay. as a lot of our listeners are, are young actors like 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 myself and, mm-hmm. and like Tim. Uh, Tim, you want to get into some of the uh, the other questions? Yeah, I get the well, they're all fun questions, but I get the more whimsical <laughs> ones. Okay, so first of all, can you uh, w- w- you live in New York still, correct? Uh huh. And what part of New York do you live in, if you don't mind sharing? Uh, mid- Midtown. Um, do you have a favorite restaurant there in New York? Mm. <laughs> I do for like theater hangs. I do love Joe Allen. Okay. Um, what do you, what do you like to get there? You know, there it's, I love, you know, the burgers. I love their meatloaf. I, I like that place. Um, West 46th street. That's on correct. Yes. There it's on restaurant town. row. Oh, on Restaurant Row. We talked about Restaurant Row a couple episodes ago. Was yeah, it last episode? This podcast, yeah, I think it was last episode. This podcast is very food and musical theater based. Yeah. That's why we ask, <laughs> we ask all of yeah. our interviewees what their favorite spot is. So I think a, a good, uh, a good uh, show hang spot is, uh, that's a, is good, an, that's a, a good addition. And actually, Clyde, his, his favorite restaurant uh, was also there on Restaurant Row. It's, it's really a great spot, especially after you've just seen a show and you'll probably spot a couple of broadway folks over there if you if you eat if you eat pretty much at any of those restaurants mm-hmm. and it looks like they do a lot of you know they've got a hamburger they've got a cajun chicken sandwich thai vegetarian stew new york strip steak what's really fun about it is that uh the interior is they have show posters all along the walls and you may look at them and you say well why are these all weird uh shows up here it's because that they're all flops Oh, okay. The famous flops uh, uh, that they have the posters for uh-huh. that, that are lining the walls of the theater. Oh, I love that. So you've got like Bring Back Birdie or, you know. Um, yeah. Things Merlin. that didn't last very long. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, okay, cool. Uh, what else you got, Tim? Okay, so this is another, uh, I guess, a slightly tough one. But um, if you could play any role that's currently on Broadway. If you could just have your pick. In fact, you probably could just have your pick. But what would you pick? Uh, well, I've never done Billy Flynn. Oh, you haven't? Oh, that's right. You mentioned that last night. No. Which I would, which I would, I would like to do. I've never done the uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber Phantom. I've done the uh, Maury Yeston Arthur Copet Phantom. But I've never... Um, that one was just up at... Buck- Did Bucks County just do that recently? Or... Uh, actually, the Westchester Broadway Theater. Oh, that's it. Westchester it. did it, yeah. Would you want to be and, the Phantom uh, in that? Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. I, I don't really know you very well, uh, so and, I don't know what your taste is. <laughs> and uh, uh, But I've always wanted, I think, uh, Kiss Me Kate is, is uh, coming back, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. So, yeah, uh, yeah th- that's a role that I've always wanted. To, that's, that's a role that I've always really wanted to do. What was the one I asked you? Oh, you've never played Sweeney Todd either. I've never played Sweeney. That needs to happen. Absolutely. That's got to happen. You hear that, Broadway? Oh, they're listening. They're definitely... Bernie Telsey's a big fan of the show. Oh, good. No, he's really not. (laughs) Uh, Cool, cool, cool. What else you got, Tim? Your most embarrassing onstage moment. Oh, good God. Oh, yeah. Everybody love hates this question. Um, All right. Uh, can, Can you use language on this? Oh yeah, oh, we have the oh, explicit yeah. label on our. Uh, okay. on Alex our... has made sure of that. <laughs> All right, so I, I think the probably the most embarrassing one was uh, I was doing Funny Girl at 
uh, at the CLO in Pittsburgh. And it's basically uh, eight days of rehearsal, uh, uh, six hours of tech, and then you go. Oh, my God. And there's no... <laughs> oh, my God. There's, it's, it's summer stock. Yeah. Um, so I was playing Nicky Arnstein. And whether you know the show or... I don't know if you know the show or not, anybody out there, but uh, there's this big thing about a blue marble egg that he gives to Fanny uh, at one point in the show. So the, the people in the, the offstage at the CLO are brilliant. I mean, the wardrobe department is brilliant. I mean, they're, they're on it really quick. They do, you have to learn quick changes uh, in a heartbeat. And I was, I ran off stage and I started doing a quick change when I did not need to do a quick change. Uh, so I, I realized that in the middle of it and I put the other clothes back on again. And then I ran to the prop table where my blue marble egg was supposed to be. And it's critical to the scene. And it was not there. It was not where it was supposed to be. And this is during a show. This is during the first performance with an audience, which was our opening night. Uh, (laughs) There are no previews there. It's like your opening night is your opening night. And so it was not there. And so I said, where's my fucking egg? (laughs) And and I found it. And then I walked out on stage and uh, uh, the audience was kind of chuckling. Uh Uh-huh. And I, I didn't know what I thought was my fly down. Uh, I didn't really know yeah, what, yeah. what was happening. So we got through the scene and got to intermission. And one of the crew guys came back to my dressing room and he said, that was the funniest thing I had ever seen in my life. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, what you said. Oops. I said, the audience heard me? <laughs> and he said... He said, yeah. Oh, it was a guy in the, in the orchestra. Uh, he said, yeah, your mic was on. Oh, my God. So the sound guy was, he was learning the show, too. His face was in the book. And he knew that I had the first line right. in that scene. Uh-huh. So he had my mic up. Uh, and I should have been on stage. Right, right. <laughs> and I was not on stage because I was looking yeah. for my fucking blue marble egg. <laughs> That's the name of this episode. Where's my fucking egg? And so... And so that's that's my that's the worst. That was the worst for me. And that, I, uh, that's, that a, moment, that's pretty good. That moment has become kind of like urban legend in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Where's my fucking egg? <laughs> I heard. And a, that's why we have the egg hunt every year in Pittsburgh. That's, that's, that's right. I, I heard a really funny one about a Les Mis tour. That uh, one day, for some reason, on the national tour of Les Mis, the so there's a part. If you're not familiar with the show where Gavroche interrupts all of the, the students as they're singing uh, that General Lamarck is dead. Everybody's singing, and he says, listen, listen, everybody. And they all stop singing, and in complete silence, he says, General Lamarck is dead. And it's this big, pivotal moment in the show. Well, one day on the tour, whoever this kid was many years ago playing Gavroche was not where he was supposed to be. They all stop <laughs> All the students stop singing when they're supposed to stop singing, and all you hear over the speakers in a you know two thousand, three thousand seat theater is, "I'm gonna miss it. I'm gonna miss it. Oh no!" <laughs> oh, that's so sad. And then they just go into Lamarck is dead. 
Oh, uh, that kid Thomas. was let down by his Wrangler. Yeah, I think uh, Michael Thomas Holmes uh, told us that one in the, in the dressing room the other day. Uh, I love I love a good microphone is hot when when you're not on stage. Not story. Being, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, love it, love it, love it. Uh, all right, Tim, we got one more question. Who do you know in the prom? Oh, I know Brooks Ashmanskis and uh, Beth Level. Of course. Oh, yeah, of course, those, yeah, are the, of course those are the two you know. <laughs> yes, the, two, the two lunatics. I know both of them. <laughs> Have you worked with Beth? Yes. Okay. I just love that. I, you know what, Tim? I just and realized. I've worked with Brooks, too. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, we, we need to ask Clyde. We need to ask him because I didn't ask him. Oh, who he knows in the prom? Yeah. All right. Have you seen the show yet? No. No, me neither. I it looks like a lot it. of fun. It does. It does look like a lot of fun. Uh. Have you ever worked with Casey? Nicola? Yeah. No. Okay. We're on a first name basis, me and him. We're very close. Yes, I, I can tell. <laughs> uh, well, I, it has been a breath of heaven interviewing you here today, wow. sir. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> our, yeah our, this, is, this is the moment. Uh, you were only allowed one of those. <laughs> oh, this was a different style, Jacqueline. <laughs> this was more musically related. Okay. Um, well, thank you so much, man. Um, it was so a pleasure. People can uh, find you. Your website is robertcuccioli.com. Uh-huh. And that is uh, Robert, spelled how it sounds. Cuccioli is C-U-C-C-C-U-C-I-O-L-I. There you go. And you're not on Instagram or the social media, correct? Uh no, I'm I'm on Facebook. I have a fan page on Facebook. Oh, but, okay. Uh, so check out the fan page on Facebook. But uh, no, I haven't done Instagram yet. But I I probably will be. Amazing. All right. You guys were great. It was fun. All right. Thank you so much, sir. Bye, everybody. Bye. Alex just did a big stinky burp. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. I don't burp. I have no gas. I laugh it all the way adorably. <laughs> My anus is purely decorational. It's like a well, second belly we've... button, really. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. It's adorable. And clean. Like a staircase that leads to nowhere, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Or like a doorway that leads to nowhere, huh? Yeah, that's what it is. It's a doorway, yeah. Uh, final thoughts. Final thoughts. Okay, what is your final thought, Alex? My what is? Oh my god, I just had it. And now I forgot it. Oh, my final thought. Your final yes. thought. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my final thought is, um, uh, I do love New York City. Actually, I'm, 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 we're, I'm about to close my show here. I'm, 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 You know when you, you could, you, you feel like you have a drink. You could when you want. You could do anything. Uh, I'm about to close a Connecticut Christmas Carol here uh, at good speed, um, and I am excited to take ten days off. We're, we are not going to record uh, until mid-January. We're going to take a little break uh, while I'm in Sacramento, and I'm excited for that break. I'm excited for the vacation, and I'm also really excited to get back to New York, man. And so, and so, my final thought is: we talk a lot of. Um, you know, we talk a lot about how difficult New York is on this podcast. We have New York is a great big palace dike. We have long enough, which a lot of time, a lot of the time, talks about stuff in New York. Um, but I, I think maybe we should have a, a little segment uh, where we talk about what we love about New York. 
Yeah, season two, I think we're going to be a little bit more gratuitous about... Uh, no, that's not the right... Yeah, gratuitous. Gratitudinal? About gratitudinal. New York as well. It's gratitudinal. Because it does have a lot of great things to offer. Yeah, I mean, there's so much opportunity in the city and... Uh, and much more know. than just food and, and shows, although those are two of the best parts. Yeah, um, but we would not have this podcast if it were not for New York City, and I would not have a career if it were not for New York City. So, um, yeah, I, we'll, we'll, we'll think about that. Actually, we're, we have a lot of changes that are going to be coming to the show as, as we've really gotten into the swing of things here. Um, we want to figure out more efficient ways to do the show. We need some help with the show, um, which we'll be making some announcements about. Um, we're going to be revamping some things to keep it fun and fresh and so it's not just the so, yeah. same stuff week after week, blah, blah, blah. Look forward to season two starting in January. Actually, I don't think that's a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, what's your final thought, my dude? Where do farts go? Uh, well, I, th- I think they go everywhere. They just kind of spread out and stay in the ozone. Where do broken farts go? And I, I don't really want to say much more than that. I think we should just sort of leave it at that. Yeah. I think we should just kind of let people stew on that for a little while. Yeah. So why don't you it. why don't you message us, uh, reach out, let us know where you think the farts go. Also, uh, we already spouted out our shouted outs, but um, I got a text from our friend Mr. Michael Jenkinson who just wrote, listening to the podcast My Favorite Murder is like listening to you and Tim, dot, 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 if you and Tim were sassy women. To which I responded, thanks to Tim, listening to the Nobody's in New York podcast sounds exactly like Tim and I, and we don't talk shit about Sacramento like those two beezies. Yeah. Okay, so you can follow us on Instagram, Nobody's in NY. No, that's N-O-B-O-D-I-E-S-I-N-N-Y. We're also on Twitter, but we never use it. You can follow us on Facebook. Uh, that's Nobody's in New York on Facebook. And you can email us to book us for a live event at Nobody's in New York podcast at gmail.com. Um, special thanks to Mr. Mark Ferreira who bankrolled this whole thing. Mr. Mark Ferreira, a friend of ours, uh, one of my best friends in the world who has had a lazy eye his entire, not his entire life, but ever since he You gonna got, bring this up? You know, well, shut up. I'm gonna get, I'm getting to it. it. No, I have, there's actually, I'm getting to something here. He was kicked by a horse as a child, which, um, gave him a lazy face. eye. What did I say? I just said in the face. I just added. Oh, yeah. In the face, which gave him a lazy eye. And uh, he just had surgery on it a couple days ago. Yeah, he told me that he was going to see straight next time I saw him. Or he was going to look straight next time I saw him. And I said, come again? Because Mark is also family. He, and, uh, yeah, he's a gay And I was like, how are you, you going to look straight? And then he sent me a picture of his eyeball getting laser surgery. And I yeah. was like, oh, gotcha. He's a gay man. You need to know that to understand that joke. So, uh, That's why I said a, he's family. A big thank you to Mark and an even bigger thank you to Miss Ellen DeGeneres, who Mark told us that we had to mention her in every single episode uh, when he purchased all of our equipment for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, check out her new stand-up special on Netflix. It's really funny. I watched that. What's it called? Relatable. Uh, yeah. Um, so I think that that's it, right? Is that all we got? Is that all she that's wrote? That's all we got. That's all she sat down and already wrote. 
So again, be sure to tune in in the new year. We got some changes coming to the show, some big changes to keep it fun and fresh, and uh, we love you big guys. Big picture stuff. Big picture, kid. Uh, Razzmatazz. Razzmatazz. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, we're, we're making some big changes. Big, big picture type stuff. So, uh, yeah, we love you guys. Thank you for listening to us. I wish everybody a happy new year. And uh, that's all she wrote. This is the Nobody's in New York podcast. He's my brother, not my boyfriend. That's good. That that ended well.